Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 115 of the Talk is Cheap podcast. I'm James Cratch. Here with me, as always, is Dan Duggan. Joe Giglio is off today, so we've got a two-man podcast, and we will start with the Giants crushing, heartbreaking, 34-29 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday at MetLife Stadium. Although it felt like Lincoln Financial Field, Dan, because Eagles fans invaded the place, the Giants had plenty of opportunities to win, but yet again, they found a way to lose. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. We, we saw this coming weeks ago that uh, you, know, you looked at the schedule, a bunch of NFC East teams that you know traveled pretty well coming in here in December, uh, thought it could be like that. Uh, but still, it was a little bit surprising to hear Eli Manning say after the game that he excused Bobby Hart's false start, you know, in a crucial spot because, uh, you know, the offensive line couldn't hear the cadence. I mean, he said Brett Jones, the center, couldn't hear the cadence. I mean, that's something that I don't think visiting teams really ever deal with when they come to MetLife Stadium. The Giants' home crowd doesn't make it that tough on the opponent. And yet in their own building, uh, they have to deal with noise. So uh, just another kind of microcosm of, you know, how, how sideways this season has gone. Uh, you know, of course, you know, that, that penalty on Hart was huge because they're looking at fourth and goal from the six and a uh, chance to, you know, pull out a dramatic win, which, you know, ultimately wouldn't have meant, you know, much, but it would have been a big lift for, you know, Steve Spagnuolo and, and just kind of this team that, you know, did continue to fight. You give him credit for that. Um, but then they get backed up and Eli sort of in a desperation situation there throws it to Engram. I mean, I, they, they could have made a call there. I don't think it was nearly as, as flagrant as the Giants did and when they, you know everyone kind of lost their minds. Uh, there was a little hand fighting, which happens on pretty much every play, and would have been tough, I think, to throw the flag there because the, the defensive back kind of you know released Ingram in time you know, when the ball was in the air. So I think that was probably a good no call. Uh, obviously, Sterling Shepard disagreed. Uh, but even that, I'll say, hey, it's a good sign that the, you know, they were still showing passion. They didn't just you know, slink back to the sidelines and accept their fate. I mean, they did, uh, you know, they did care. They did want to win. Um, but in the big picture, you know, being two and 12 is, is better for this franchise, uh, you know, long term than it would have been, you know, being three and 11, because obviously they're not going anywhere either way. So uh, they fought hard and, and they preserved the number two pick in the draft. So sort of a win win uh, when you look at it like that. Yeah, definitely. I think that the rational giant fan will look at it and say that everything is a pretty good day for the Giants. They played hard, exciting game. Eli Manning was brilliant, so all the Eli fans got to see, you know, maybe the his last glorious performance as a, as a Giant, and they still lost. So they didn't give up any ground in the race for the number two overall pick, which is, I think, the pick 
that's in the best interest of the franchise that they get. Uh, we'll talk about that later on with the, the kind of the draft scenarios. But I think the best place to start, because as you said, not a game that means much. Uh, we'll get into the special teams disaster later on. Eli Manning. Earlier in the week, John Mara said he wants to have him back in 2018 after all the mayhem that has occurred over the past few weeks. Eli goes out and plays his best game of the season by far. Just kind of torches the Eagles, the defense that came in ranked second in the league. And after the game, Eli says that he loves to be a giant and he wants to be back in 2018. But Dan, I can't feel, but I, I can't help but think two things. One, this all seems like it might be a case of everyone just saying the right thing until there's, you know, some definites going forward. But two, for everyone to say they want Eli back when they're going to have a top two, top two pick in all likelihood, when they have Davis Webb on the roster, when they don't even have a general manager and a head coach, to me, it just seems a little, little early, a little presumptuous. Yeah, and I mean, we weren't down in Texas for the owners being, so, you know, we can't parse everything that John Mara said when he, when he met with reporters, but... You know, I think he did add a pretty big disclaimer where yeah, he said, yes, he wants Eli back, um, but he said it's going to be a discussion with whoever becomes the GM and the head coach, you know, as it should be. I mean, you certainly don't want John Mara, uh, you know, uh, you know, putting Eli Manning as a as a you know prerequisite to anyone who comes in, you have to have him as your starting quarterback for the next year or two. I mean, you need to let that be an open discussion because um, you know there was going to be a debate even if Jerry Reese was back, which you know obviously didn't happen. It might have been a long shot. Uh, it certainly was going to be a debate. I mean, so nothing really should change. And you know, one great performance you know shouldn't change anything about you know the outlook for Eli Manning. I know some people are trying to say, oh, he still got it. Well. I mean, yeah, he had a he had a great performance against the Eagles uh, in Week Three. So something about that matchup seems to suit him well. But I mean, he's also had you know three terrible performances coming into yesterday. And, and again, I'm not saying that, I just don't think the game's a referendum on Eli Manning either way. I mean, he's we, we've documented you know how shorthanded this offense is with the offensive line, with all the you know skill players being out. Um, so yeah, hey, it was it was great to give the home team and you know, the home crowd a show. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think this performance should change the the long term outlook. It's more about you know kind of dollars and cents, and it's about uh, you know the draft pick. I mean, I, I have no problem with if they bring Eli Manning back next year. Um, and I think an, another thing that pe- people don't really want to entertain, and I know you you kind of broke it down last week. There's no guarantee that they get a quarterback even with the second pick. I mean. The key domino is, is Sam Darnold. If, if he stays in school, that throws such a monkey wrench into things because then you have to figure, you know, Rosen hands down goes number one to the Browns. And then, I, I mean, I don't want a part of Baker Mayfield, period. I know a lot of fans do. Um, you know, I don't know if the, the Wyoming quarterback, his name escapes right now. Was it Josh Allen? Josh um, Allen yep. Yeah, I, I don't think he's worthy of being number two pick. I don't think Lamar Jackson's worthy of being number two pick. So um, it really comes down to what Darnold's decision does, how much of a slam dunk it is that they even take a quarterback at two. Um, but even if they take him, I still would be fine, you know, with Eli being back for one year, sort of a bridge year and, and let the kid learn kind of the way, you know, Davis Webb, uh, you know, has learned this year. Uh, but I think that's all stuff, you know, for another day. Again, once a GM is in place, once a head coach is in place, I don't think we should be getting carried away with one, you know, excellent performance. I mean, he played played very well. It was great to see. Uh, doesn't change, my, you know, my long-term outlook for, you know, what Eli Manning, uh, his future with the franchise should be. No, I don't, it doesn't change mine either. But I do think that you're always starting to hear these fans, you know, like, oh, if they just put an offensive line behind Eli and he's still got it. To me – what I don't understand about, and I don't think people are really considering this, is okay. You know that's fine. You you bring Eli back. You, you know you draft a quarterback, whatever. 
at some point next year, if, if you draft Sam Darnold or you don't – or Josh Rosen or you don't take a quarterback and you just have Davis Webb, if this team is not in a playoff hunt, which I think there's a very good chance it won't be, and even if it is, at some point you've got to play the young quarterback, especially if he's a top – number two overall pick. It's very rare in today's NFL that a rookie quarterback that's drafted that high sits on the bench for a year. And we already saw it once – what a mess it was when they went away from Eli Manning. <laughs> so two, how are you going to do that going forward? And other thing is Eli might want to be a giant, but he wants to play football. And I just have a hard time imagining that it's a good situation to bring Eli back here with a number two overall pick, knowing that at some point you're going to have to send Eli to the bench because that's the way it works in the league now. The kid is going to play at some point. I just don't – I wonder if everyone says, well, is Eli willing to be Kurt Warner? Well, here's the issue. You already kind of played that chip when you benched him for Geno Smith. So I don't see how it's going to work out that Eli is going to come back next year knowing that at some point they're probably going to pull the rug out from under him again for the, this draft pick, and he's going to be willing to go with that. I just think – there's a lot of issues at play here, and I think people are getting way too caught up in the fact that at the end of the day, the GM's not here in all likelihood, the head coach is not here in all likelihood, and those are the guys who have to make this call. It, and that's great that Eli wants to be here. It's great that John Mara wants him to be here. But if the Giants are going to function and rebuild this thing, the two people who need to make the decision for the most part, they're not in the building yet. Right. And it goes back to the point that, you know, myself and you have been kind of banging this drum that they've botched this quarterback situation, you know, so badly on both sides of the coin. I mean, if they were just going to ride it out with Eli for all 16 games a season, I mean, hey, people would have been calling for Davis Webb to play, but people also would understand, you know, Eli has his streak and it's not right to yank him, this and that. And hey, we'll, we'll see what happens in the offseason. I think everyone would have understood if that's how they you know, chose to approach it. Once they made, you know, again, we can't keep reliving this every week on the podcast, but that, that ill-fated plan uh, to just yank Eli, put, you know, uh, Smith in there. I mean, that would... The damage was done. The bandit had been ripped off. I mean, they'd already kind of crossed that bridge with Eli. And it's it, that was going to be such a difficult thing to do. And especially if you're bringing in a new GM and a new coach, they would have been – we saw what happened to Ben McInerney and Jerry Reese's reputation after that happened. It would have been a tough look for a Dave Gettleman, let's say, to come in who has a reputation for kind of being cold with older players. If he came in and his first order of business was to cut Eli Manning, my goodness, that would have been a very difficult thing for him to overcome. So they, they did the first step. They took that off of the new GM, and they've just totally reversed it. And again, we, I've made this point many times. I'm not going to hammer it too much, but it's just – it really is remarkable. I mean, they, they had done this impossible task of, of sliding Eli you know, out of the starting role. It was not a popular decision, and then they just backed down because of the, you know, the public sentiment. And, and now the fact that yeah, now he's playing well. So now, I mean, Spags was going to play Eli no matter what for the, I'm sure John Mara, whether he's going to admit or not, gave a nudge that, hey, it'd be sure it'd be nice to see number 10 back in there for that Cowboys game last week. And now Eli plays, you know, lights out. I, I'm going to take him out now. I mean, again, if, if Spags, this whole thing is obviously playing to win, he's got no choice but to, you know, play a guy who just threw for, you know, 400 plus yards and, and you know, kept him in the game against, you know, the NFC's, uh, you know, best team. So uh, they're kind of just back to where they started, which is an, it's just an amazing turn of events in three weeks, <laughs> how much changed and how much, again, is just right back to, to where they started. 
uh, and they're really no closer to resolving their quarterback situation. And again, like we keep saying, uh, nothing's going to be resolved until they get a new GM, until they get a new head coach. Um, but that new GM and head coach is going to have just as sticky a, a situation now based on the fact that they just you know, totally backtracked on, on the process they had started down a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I wrote this last week. The idea that they've made this whole quarterback situation about winning the game this boxes the bin. I mean, if, if Spags came out and said, I'm starting Eli against the Cowboys and the Eagles because it's in the best interest of the Giants, well, then he could have come out after this game Monday and said, I'm going to start Davis Webb now because it's in the best interest of the Giants. But when you say I'm starting Eli because he gives us the best chance to win, you really can't then turn around and say, well, we're starting Webb now because obviously it, you can't argue that he gives you a better chance to win than Eli, especially coming off this big game. And mm-hmm. I think give Matt Ben McAdoo credit. I think it's become plainly obvious that he believed that Geno gave him a better chance to win than Eli against the Raiders. But he didn't come out and say that because he knew he couldn't win that argument. And you mentioned the new GM, the new head coach. I don't think John Mara meant to do this, but it's almost like he's tainting the pool of candidates in the sense that if you're interviewing for this job as an outside candidate, GM or head coach, don't you kind of feel compelled to come in with a plan that involves Eli Manning going forward when you hear the, the owner say, I want this guy back, and Eli Manning, who basically you've seen what happens when you try to move on <laughs> from Eli Manning, has said he wants you back? I mean, I almost feel like I don't think John Mayer has made it a litmus test that the new GM and coach must be on board with Eli, but it's almost like you're tying the their one hand behind their back before they even have a chance to take the job. Yeah, no, I mean that, that again. That just speaks to my point where I said it's just amazing they did they did the heavy lifting. They got rid of the guys who you can pin it on, and then they just went right back and, and they're back to where they started. So it really makes uh, you know that decision to bench Eli before the Raiders game so pointless now because they really accomplished absolutely nothing other than you know expediting the, the move to get Mackin and Reese out the door, which again that doesn't really gain you much other than people are just tired of looking at him. And it speaks to another point that um, you know with Spags. I honestly think it's a detriment for this team in the position they were in to have an interim head coach. And I, I sent a tweet that wasn't you know, worded great and people jumped on me on Sunday morning that the problem with interim coach is Spags is going all out to win. And people say, well, wouldn't Mackett have gone all, all out to win? Yes. Yeah, so my, I shouldn't have said all out to win. My, th- my thought process is, though, Spags has four games to make an impression. He's not going to start experimenting. He's going to go with tried and true and just hope that you know, he can change things enough to you know win a couple of games or you know, even, hey, maybe that Philly game, I'm sure John Mara appreciated the effort he saw on the field, which obviously hasn't been the case for some of the games this season. But Spags isn't going to you know, deviate from the, you know, the, the veterans and the trusted guys. So he's going to start Eli Manning. He's going to play Vernon and JPP every snap, even though he said he wasn't going to do that. He's just going to lean on sort of the, the formula that's been the plan all year. And hopefully it has different results for him, at least with McAdoo. I mean, he saw the writing on the wall, so he was going to experiment. And, and again, that's what a team that at the time was two and 10 should be doing. It's so, it's so hard for me to understand why that's so hard for some people to grasp. It's not about tanking. It, it, giving Avery Moss, let's just say, a fifth-round pick who's shown a little bit of promise, giving him 20 snaps in yesterday's game at the expense of 10 snaps from JPP and 10 snaps from Vernon, that's not tanking. I mean, you, you, can, you can make an argument that maybe it makes the other the veterans better because they're a little well-rested, and maybe Moss brings a, a spark. But stuff like that is just what you do. It's, it's very rare to be in a situation where – 
you're playing in meaningless games. It, there's no other way to describe these games. If they won yesterday, again, it wouldn't have meant anything other than maybe hurting their draft stock. These are meaningless games. So use that to your advantage. I mean, they've given Wayne Gallman a little bit more reps, but you know they, they dressed Darius Powell from the practice squad last week. Obviously, he got hurt, but those are the things you should do. And I just feel like Spags is much more hesitant to do that because, again, he's got four games to try to convince ownership that, hey, I should be the guy. So you can't fault him for sticking with Eli because, of course, Eli gives him a better chance to win than Davis Webb. Now, yes, McAdoo was going to have to go all out to win, but he was also in a different position where he was a lot more desperate and a lot more willing to try different things. And I just think that for these four games, that would have benefited um, in the long term. Again, everyone knows that, you know, we both support the idea of playing Davis Webb. That's completely out the window. Uh, you, know, you know, Spags again has said Eli's going to start, you know, against Arizona. I mean, maybe, maybe they promote Webb to number two. I wouldn't hold my breath on that, on that one. But just the idea that they've they've gotten to this point where you never want to be, where you're totally out of the race in like mid-November, and you don't even take advantage of it by giving more young players a shot, taking some chances, uh, mixing things up a little bit. To me, it's like it's it's even more of a waste, and, and it's just it's kind of like I said, the downside of having an interim coach who isn't isn't gonna take any chances because he, you know, I mean, we go back to last week when he's punting, you know, fourth and two from the 37 or whatever it was. I mean, Spags is playing this very close to the vest because he wants to win these games. Not that Mackey didn't want to win, but he definitely would have taken more chances, taken more risks, mixed things up a little bit, which again I think is what a team in their position should be doing. The Giants just seem to be obsessed with, like, and John Mara, I mean, when John Mara had that after Eli got benched and he was like, you know, we're not tanking, that's complete BS. I I can't remember a single person who had written or said or accused the Giants of tanking up to that point. They seem to be kind of fixated with the idea of being perceived as tanking, but I don't think anyone's accusing them of tanking. But here's the thing. Tanking is purposely losing a game. That's bad. That's unethical. I get that. But if you put younger players in, you are naturally going to decrease your chances of winning games. And I think we all agree that the best case of the Giants at this point is to get as high of a draft pick as possible while still evaluating. I mean, you can put Davis Webb in the game and then do everything you can to win, win the game within the white lines. But you're still, A, decreasing your chance of winning ultimately, which helps your draft status, and B, getting something valuable out of the equation. And I just think for whatever reason, the Giants fail are struggling to realize that there is a difference between tanking and doing what you have to do in a lost losing season and understanding that you might be giving up you know, on the margins a chance to win the game but you're doing good inside the white lines and you're still playing to win the game. Right. And then not to kind of, you know, review the, the web situation again, but that's, that, that's how I look at it too. It's not like you'd put him in there and just tell him to throw up Hail Mary's all game. I mean, you'd still, you know, come up with a conservative game plan, you know, pretty much what they had done with Eli until they really let him loose yesterday. And it's really amazing. Like Philly better. I mean, other teams have to be watching the film. That's two games now where Eli Manning just shredded them with that quick passing up tempo and a lot of underneath stuff and, and some double moves. A great game plan by uh, Mike Sullivan. I'll give him credit there. Um, but if you put Webb in the game, you're going to, you're going to try and play to his strengths. You're going to try and win. You're not going to just say, ah, whatever he's in there. Who cares? Um, so, so again, that, that just goes to the, that whole argument. I, I just, I don't buy it that, uh, you'd, you'd be tanking by playing a young player. I mean, yeah, you wouldn't be giving yourself the best chance to win, but you can't win 
with the best players out, you know, quote unquote, best players out there. You're two and twelve, you know, playing things by the book. So I just keep going back to the, the the reasoning of what do you have to lose? I mean, you can say, oh, there's nothing to gain. Well, I mean, there's at least a chance. Maybe Webb goes out, goes in and lights it up. Odds certainly stacked against that. But even if he stinks, I mean, the team is two and twelve. It's you know, until yesterday, the offense had been a disaster. So so just really nothing to lose. Uh, again, just even some of the decisions, like the fact that Landon Collins played yesterday. I mean, I know he is a tough guy, and he has, you know, started every single game of his career. It was going to take the Giants. The, the thing is crazy. Spags admitted what it was going to take to keep him out of the lineup. He said we'd have to protect Landon from himself because he won't ever say, like, I can't go. So he goes out, does his pregame workout, convinces the medical staff he can play, and then midway through the second quarter, he's, he's limping off the field because he's trying to play through an ankle injury that's been nagging since week five that he re-injured last week and you're going to play him in that game it just seems like so short-sighted and i mean listen it's an ankle so you, this type of thing that typically you know heals on its own but man if he has to have some sort of off-season ankle surgery and it's because he aggravated it you know in week 15 in a meaningless game when he was already you know less than 100 percent that wouldn't be a great look so i just think like i said that they're so obsessed with this this idea of uh, you know, not looking like they're tanking. They're just losing sight of the big picture that at least the one thing that, you know, McEnroe and Reese on the way at the door seem to have some idea that, listen, we have to at least start to look at the future. I mean, it's okay. That's that's not that's not tanking. That's not against the, you know, kind of the unwritten rules of the game to just start to take a peek at the future. And the fact that they've just, you know, backtracked on that so much and, hey, they they played their their A unit yesterday. They gave it all they got and they still lost. So, you know, they, they don't gain anything from that. And uh, they've just, you know, lost another opportunity, you know, to evaluate these young players. Yeah, it's just, I feel like it, we, it's just like this repeating cycle of, I just feel like some people... I, see how we do others don't the giants i I don't think i wonder sometimes if they even really have a plan they just are kind of going day to day hour to hour minute to minute uh you're right playing collins made absolutely no sense on sunday and they basically said we know this makes no sense but then they did it anyway it's just it's a ready fire aim team i just think they they merce they need this season to mercifully come to an end and they can go get a new GM, a new head coach, and kind of forge forward and try to forget that this ever happened because this has been a complete nightmare. Yeah, uh, and a new special teams coordinator, too. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, you have to get to that. I mean, you know what? Enough is enough. I mean, it's just – at this point, how can – I mean, look, the game didn't mean anything. The Giants are better off losing it. But they would have beaten the Eagles, pulled a colossal upset. Honestly, you could make the argument that the Giants had beaten the Eagles on Sunday. It would have been their biggest win in years, given the fact – I mean, not take away the fact the Giants were 2-11 and going in. But the Eagles, NFC leaders, division champs going for home field advantage, uh, even with the fact that Nick Foles was there and Carson Wentz wasn't. But you lose by five points in a game where you had a blocked field goal and a blocked PAT, basically leave five points on the board, off the board, and you had a blocked punt set up a short field goal, excuse me, a short field touchdown by the Eagles. I mean, it's just, the Giants special teams have been bad all year, but I feel like this was the game where it really crystallized and it's a complete debacle that cost them a win. And at this point, I mean, how, this has to be the end of the Tom Quinn era, right? 
<laughs> I mean, he's got nine lives. I mean, we used to say that about you know Jerry Reese. Obviously, he outlasted Tom Coughlin, but how did Tom Quinn survive? I mean, Ben McInerney must not have any special teams coach in his Rolodex, you know, from his uh, his climb up the ladder to just just keep Tom Quinn. Um, you know, it's it's been it's been a sore spot for this team for years. Uh, you know, yesterday certainly was probably one of the the lowest points, but. I mean, again, I mean, I think we, I assume whatever coach comes in is just going to wipe the entire staff. And again, I've said maybe, maybe you know a guy and, and who's a position coach and, and he has a relationship with whoever the new coach is and, and that type of like a Dave Merritt or someone like that sticks around, maybe. Um, but all the coordinators have to go. I mean, they're, they're among the worst in the league in every, all three phases. So you can't say, well, at least this coordinator's done a good job this year. They've all been bad. They've all underachieved. Uh, but Tom Quinn definitely probably skates by the most because listen, it's, it's special teams. I mean, everyone focuses on offense and defense and you really only focus on special teams when something, you know, you know extraordinary happens, whether, you know, for the good or for the bad. And the funny thing is, I mean, the, the, the blocks were, you know, horrendous and, and the probably the most troubling part for the, Tom Quinn uh, factor in it all is Malcolm Jenkins who blocked the Rosas' field goal said, you know, we spotted some things on film and exploited it. So it wasn't just as if like, uh, you know, a guy beat a guy one-on-one, they realized where the weak spots were and exploited them over and over again. I mean, you don't see uh, two block kicks in a game, let alone three. So clearly they got out coached and out schemed there. Um, and then it's not, again, it's not just these big plays. If you just look at, you know, where they rank, they're down in the bottom of the league uh, in kick return average, punt return average. They, I mean, Tell me the last time they've broken a long return. I mean, their longest punt return was 20 yards. The longest kick return is 30 yards for the season. I mean, that's, I mean, they're barely, you know, you know, making any plays in the return game. Um, so, I mean, I mean, listen, it's, it's a formality that when, when the season ends, Tom Quinn will be showing the door, but I think it's just, he's been such a source of frustration because fans can't believe, you know, he survived this long. And then to have a game like yesterday, uh, it just was, it was such a debacle and it just really, uh, you know, drove home the point that, uh, you know, he's he's certainly underachieved as special teams coordinator. I mean, and my thing is this, when you have a blocked kick or three block kicks, I mean, it's inexcusable. I mean, anyone who's kind of like you know, played football at a level, you know, has special teams experience. I mean, this is not something where you're right, where there's just a guy, a guy made a freak physical play. I mean, and sometimes that happens, but it, and look, I don't know what the exact blocking scheme was. It just seemed to me that the Eagles brought one extra guy on the side of, on one side of the, the the formation a couple times, and the Giants just didn't account for it. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's not. It's difficult to kick an extra point or a field goal or get a punt off, but it's pretty rudimentary football. You know that you've got to block this guy and that. You, you never you always block inside because the guy on the outside is probably never going to be able to get to the kicker quick enough unless he's you know an all pro athlete. So I mean, and that was what happened. I, I think definitely on the PAT where Eric Flowers and look, I don't know if it's Eric Flowers' fault because it looked like he was punching inside, but the guy just goes. I think it was Derek Barnett. Just goes right off his shoulder and walks into the kick. I mean. The punt, I know Nat Burhey was out, you know, so I mean, you know, Nat Burhey has really proven to be a valuable special teams player this year. Darian Thompson there is personal protector, but I mean, if a guy is running straight at you, you should probably hit him <laughs> before he blocks the kick. I mean, they've had kicks blocked for this year, punts and field goals. I just think it just seemed like they were very poorly coached. <laughs> I put those miss I put those block kicks on coaching rather than the players, because it just seemed like they just didn't react to what the Eagles were doing. The Eagles had clearly seen it on film, schemed them up, 
And I just think that, you know, look, it, it's just unacceptable. It, it doesn't really mean anything. But imagine if the Giants have been on the periphery of the wild card hunt and this had happened on Sunday. I don't think Tom Quinn would be the co- would be this coordinator uh, on Monday afternoon if that was the case. I mean, just unacceptable to do that in a game that you should have won. It's just the Giants have to get these special teams fixed going forward. Maybe that means seriously considering, you know, Kansas City special teams coordinator Dave Tobe, guy who's from Westchester County, has a long-running relationship with Spags, actually dating back to their time at Springfield College in Massachusetts. <laughs> so if the Giants want to keep Steve Spagnuolo in the fold, and I agree with you, I don't really see how they can keep any of the coordinators. I mean, the Giants' defense is 32nd ranked. I do think there's a chance, especially if Eli is back, that maybe Mike Sullivan finds a spot on the staff as a quarterback's coach just because of, of the relationship they have and that he can help Eli kind of transition to another offensive scheme. But beyond that, I, I don't see any of these guys coming back at the coordinator level. Yeah, I mean, I could live with Sully back as a QB coach, not as offensive coordinator. I think whoever comes in, if it's an offensive guy, and I mean, I think we saw that the calling the plays didn't work for McAdoo, but maybe it can work for whoever the, the new head coach is. But even if it's not, he needs to bring somebody in who has his own system or, or is going to run the head coach's system, where you know, Sully was just a, a square peg forcing a, a round hole from the get-go with McAdoo. Um, but, you know, that's... That's probably more than enough on that game that, again, it was it was exciting. It was interesting, but ultimately meaningless. Uh, I think the bigger story of this week is going to be the GM search is finally going to kind of get off the ground. Um, you know, it's, it's not going to be resolved this week, or at least we don't think it will be. That would be a, a change in what John Maris said the plan is, but they are going to. Uh, you know, begin the process, which is one of the things Maris said. He felt like, you know, by firing, you know, Reese and Macker during the season, they had a little bit of an advantage uh, that they could get a hard head start. I mean, obviously the Browns kind of uh, negated that a little bit and, and just kind of jumping the line and, and hiring John Dorsey in the blink of an eye. Uh, you know, don't think he would have been uh, a favorite for the Giants job, but was going to get an interview. So, uh, you, you know, you can't drag your feet too long. Um, you know, obviously the Bengals, you know, they're going to move off from Marvin Lewis. So th- that market's going to get crowded pretty quickly. So at least makes sense to to get a little bit of a jump start. I mean, I think the names we all expect to see this week, you know, are, are definitely Dave Gettleman because he's unemployed, so he can interview this week. Uh, they can interview the in-house candidates, Kevin Abrams. I would assume Mark Ross gets an interview. Uh, you know, just a fact that Mark Ross would satisfy the Rooney Rule requirement too. So uh, just kind of a no-brainer to give him an interview. And then, you know, I don't know if there's – there's any other names out there, Lewis Riddick or you know, Scott McLuhan, someone like that, who's not currently you know employed by an NFL front office, could interview this week. We haven't really heard anything to indicate that that'll be the case. And then, uh, you know, it should really pick up steam um, the first week of the new year after the regular season ends, and they can start interviewing executives that are currently working for other teams. But um, you know, this is definitely going to pick up fast. You know, I think it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see you know how everything plays out. Um, you know, I think we all kind of enter the the process here thinking Gettleman's the favorite. Uh, but I think the Giants are doing the right thing, uh, at least in, you know, waiting to presumably waiting. You know, we'll see. Maybe Kettleman just really knocks their socks off and they pull the trigger this week. But I think presumably they'll wait and, and talk to some other guys around the league and and, and we'll see uh, how everything shakes out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And another in-house name, and I don't know for a fact if he'll be interviewed, is that I read somewhere, I think it was an interview, Ernie, of course, he did when he was consulting the Lions, where he said that he doesn't really consider a candidate unless they've been a director at some level in a front office. So Giants director of pro personnel, Ken Sternfeld, I haven't heard his name anywhere, but you know, this is kind of jumping me there. He's the only other kind of director level uh, guy in the Giants front office. Maybe he could end up being a candidate. Uh, I haven't heard anything that suggests that, but that's just one nugget. Um, 
I do think that it'll be interesting to me to see, obviously sounds like they're going to wait until after the season ends to interview some of these candidates, but you know, how, how many candidates do they want to interview on other teams and like how long are they willing to go? Uh, one thing that helps the Giants, it looks like the Packers are not going to make the playoffs. So that means that a guy like Elliot Wolf will be able to interview relatively quickly if he wants to uh, once the regular season ends. But again, you know, a guy like Nick Casario, Eric DaCosta with the Ravens, if he's interested, you know, those teams are probably going to be in the playoffs. And, you know, teams don't necessarily have to let their front office executives interview uh, until the regular until uh, that team's season is over. It's not like with the coaching candidates where they've got the cutouts of, you know, if you have a bye week, you can interview that week. Uh, any coach on a playoff team who's in the first round can interview right after that first round game is over, something like that. So I'm intrigued to see, you know, how long would the Giants be willing to wait for to talk to certain candidates if that team says, no, uh, we're not going to grant the permission until after our season is over. Uh, I, because I think if, the, if this all works out for the Giants, they probably would like to have the new GM hired, I would assume, before wildcard weekend so they can kind of hit the ground running from there with their head coaching interviews. I also wonder if, based on time, if, for instance, if they're interested in a guy like Josh McDaniels, would they do an initial interview with McDaniels before they've hired the GM just to kind of get the ball rolling with a candidate like him, knowing that they always can double back for a second interview uh, later on in the postseason whenever the Patriots get knocked out. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I, I, I agree with kind of your timeline. I think it'll be decided, you know, by wildcard weekend. So, you know, we talk about waiting to do all those interviews till, you know, probably after the first, you know, at the first of the year when the regular season ends. I don't think they'll drag their feet, uh, especially when you have to do a GM and a coach. You got to have that GM in place before you hire the coach. So you, you just really can't drag your feet again. I mean, they have a list. You know, if we think Gettleman's at the top of it, there's really no reason to drag it out too long. Uh, but at the same time, it's pretty unprecedented. I mean, they've, they've never been through this process, so we can't say, oh, this is what they did last time because they've never been in a position where they're they're looking, you know, outside, most likely at least, um, you know, for a, for a GM. So we can't predict exactly how to go down. Um, but, I, you know, I think that uh, that'll come together pretty quickly. And then the head coach, yeah, that'll be, that'll be interesting because um, there isn't an obvious guy that, say, Gettleman would would bring along with them or even if you know say Kevin Abrams gets promoted and you mean you'd think hopefully he wouldn't just say I'll just keep spags but um there's 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 no uh kind of tag team that that Gettleman would automatically come with so how wide of a net would he want to um you know search for head coach assuming he does get the job um so it's 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 going to be a very interesting offseason I mean it's certainly been an interesting regular season and uh it's going to be a busy January for us I'm sure uh trying to track down uh, how everything's going to shake out cuz I mean these these next two hires are, are going to shape the franchise for years to come cuz it's not just it's not just these two guys they're going to end up making uh monumental decisions right out of the gates what they do with the top pick what they do with Odell's contract what they do with Eli so uh it's going to be fascinating to see you know how this all plays out yeah, I think that obviously two weeks to go in this season, uh, for a lot of Giants fans, I'm sure they just the end cannot come quick enough. You know, it seems like we're not going to see Davis Webb play, which I thought was kind of the only you know excitement point left in the season on the table. But yeah, once once this is over, I mean, it's a kind of a brave new world for the Giants. Major changes are going to happen. A whole new philosophy, a whole new leadership team. Big decisions to make with Eli, with Odell, with the, with the top two pick. Uh, it's going to be a very fascinating time for the Giants. It feels like we're kind of ramping down for a really big buildup and a lot to happen with this team. So I think that's us 
it for us here on the 115th episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast. Man, only 15 episodes ago, we were at Reds with John Casillas, <laughs> and we thought this team was going to the playoffs, potentially the Super Bowl. Uh, life moves fast, doesn't it? But uh, that's it for us here. As always, thanks for listening. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Spreaker. I got the list this time, so I didn't <laughs> just tell you to go anywhere. And uh, Dan, as always, thank you. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, I guess the next time we talk to people will be after the holidays. So, you know, Merry Christmas and happy holidays to everybody. Yes. Happy holidays, everyone. We will be in Arizona. We will then try to get back home as soon as possible. And I'm sure we'll talk to you maybe around Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, I'm not going to take the podcast on Christmas Day. And we'll be looking forward to the season finale against the Washington Redskins at MetLife Stadium. Uh, maybe Eli Manning's last game as the Giants quarterback. We don't know. Uh, but that's it for us here. Thank you for listening to Talk is Cheap, and we'll see you next time.